Well, welcome back and welcome to week two of what was intended to be a one-week message. Those of you who were here last week understand that uh, most of the time I like to preach in series anyway, and I like to kind of give you one big thought and stretch it over a few weeks so that we can kind of really get into it. And uh, last week was intended to be a one-and-done sermon, and then as I began to write it and uh, begin to kind of pray through it. Uh, it. It got really long, really fast, and so I had to uh, I had to just kind of narrow everything down. To last week is point number one, and then uh, this week I thought, well, I'll I'll go ahead and blow through point number two and three, and we'll just be done with it. And that's not going to happen either. So this week is going to be point number two, uh, and then next Sunday is a Sunday we've already set aside because in my planning, as I like to plan things out, um, next Sunday is our back to school Sunday, and so next Sunday we're going to talk about uh, teachers and students and administration. And, and all that, and we're going to pray for them and, and really kind of make our service focused around that thought. And so we're going to have to skip a week and come back and finally get point number three at the end of this month. And you guys are smart enough, you can handle that, and you can kind of bounce back and forth between the two. But last week, we really introduced this idea and really began to talk about the topic of salvation. And I said that this is the most important uh, topic that we can discuss. And even in that, in my own words right now, I'm going, well, that was dumb for me to think that I could ever narrow all that down to one week. And so we're going to stretch it out. We're just going to make it be what it is. And last week we talked about the past, right? We're talking about the past, the present, and the promise uh, that is salvation. And in the past, we talked about the work that Jesus has already done, right? And we gave the big fancy word to that, the big church word that is justification, right? When we put our faith in that we are saved by grace through faith, and when we accept that and we make that into our hearts and lives, and we are justified in that moment from something that Jesus did in the past for us that sealed our salvation. When we have to, we have to accept it just because he did it didn't mean that everybody's got it. It just means that everybody has the opportunity to get it. And so what he did in the past did that for us. And when we accept that and make that real in our life, then we are at that moment justified. And there's nothing that can take that away from us, right? We looked at all kinds of scripture last week and we, we really dove into what that means and how once we're his, we're held in his right hand and Jesus comes back in the New Testament and says, nothing can separate you from my, uh, my, my mighty right hand. And so uh, this week is, is point number two. We're gonna move from the past into the present. And I talked last week about how the, the events of our past can influence our present, right? And then really even have a big draw on what happens in our future and, and all that good stuff. And that, those are all those big three words we're going to continue to come back to. Last week we talked about justification. This week we're going to talk about the big word of sanctification, right? Uh, and then finally at the end of this month we'll hit glorification. And that's all big fancy church words and we're trying to dive on those and, and figure out what all those really mean. And this all comes... Uh, and opens up this big spectrum of conversation when it comes to salvation. Some people believe uh, that salvation is an event that happened uh, as a single occurrence in, uh, in, a, in the life of a believer, right? I was saved, right? We've said that. We've all kind of processed that before, right? So we have, we have been saved. That's a past, uh, past press tense of that word, right? Some believe it's a process. I am being saved, right? And it's a continual process in the life of a believer. I am being saved. And some believe it as a, as a future event that I will be saved. And, and what we're talking about really through all of this is that it's all three, right? We were, we are, and we will be, okay? And so as we, as we define that, nobody's really wrong. And so if you said, well, no, I'm in the process of being saved, well, you're right. 
Or I'm, I'm going to be saved at the end. Yes, you are right. Or I was saved. And then that is also correct as well. That all plays into those big three words that we've been talking about over and over again. And so let's go back to the original passage of scripture. You guys, it's, it's real odd. I've, I've really began to try in my own personal Bible study time to study stuff just for me, right? Okay, so I hope that you guys do that in your own life. Uh, what is really uh, common for pastors and even for TJ and, uh, and for whoever becomes our student pastor at some point, the majority of our study time ends up being things that we're going to give to you guys, right? And so we, we study and we dive in and we spend hours in prayer and maybe sometimes even months in trying to prepare, uh, to prepare things and then we give it to you. Well, what I've begun to try to do is say, okay, I've got all that, but obviously in my own life, I've got my own stuff. But what ends up happening every time is my own stuff ends up being stuff for y'all too, okay? And so this is where this all came from. Months ago, I was reading through First Peter, and I was just under the thought of, you know what? Peter is the guy that Jesus said he's going to build the church on. So I wonder what Peter has to say for us right now as the church is in this really weird time. And so I began to read through First and Second Peter, and I, I, would, I wasn't like just blowing through it. I was really kind of trying to take it apart and, and, and kind of do that just for me. And as I began to do that, God's like, hey, this is really good. You should give that to them. And so this is where all that came from. This is the reason why we're talking about this. This is the reason why I thought that it could just be a one and done sermon, but it's not. And so you just got to hang with me. So let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And this one passage of scripture gives us all three elements of the past, the present, and the promise of salvation. Let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 starts with this. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Now know for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you, not, you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, last week we looked at the very first part of that passage, right? He has given this new birth, right? We talked about how that was a past tense verb, that he did something that gave us new birth. Well, this week we wanna look at the end of this passage, really verse nine. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. This is a present tense verb, something that we are currently experiencing. The goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So the big point, if you're taking points or if you're taking notes, the big point for today, really point number two in our long, month-long sermon is going to end up being the present experience of salvation is the process of sanctification. The present experience of salvation is the process of sanctification. This best uh, definition that I've been able to find of that big fancy word sanctification, I've got it on the screen and we're really gonna kind of take this apart today, is this. A progressive work of God and man 
that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. That's a great definition for that big fancy church word, right? It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual life. The, the, I think the key word for this is progressive, right? It's, it's not a singular point. You're not, uh, just like, you know, like justification we talked about already, at, at when we accept what Jesus did on the cross, we are immediately justified, right? We, we, we have that, we kind of lock that in, and you can't earn your justification, right? You can't build it up, you can't bank these brownie points with God. The moment of the belief and Jesus and what he did on the cross is the moment that you are justified. Bang, it happens right there. But the process of sanctification really is a lifelong process. It's something that happens day in and day out. And it's also progressive, meaning that, that you should become more and more like Christ every day day. You should do better and better. You should develop deeper and deeper aspects of your faith. That's things like wisdom and discernment and, and tolerance to temptation, right? You should be better at kind of fending those things off, right? You should be able to say that you have a deeper relationship with Jesus today than you had three months ago. And then three months from today, you should be able to say, I have a deeper relationship with Jesus today than I had three months ago, right? It's a progressive work over and over. Now listen, you gotta be very careful because this is not about being a better Christian, right? It's, it's about being more like Christ. And some of you say, well, isn't that the same thing? Like, isn't, isn't that what that really means? I, yes, but not really, okay? Jess and I were talking this past week about how God reveals himself to people. We were just, we have these really weird, sometimes very deep conversations in our living room while we're drinking coffee, okay? And so we were talking about how God reveals himself to people and, and how people really respond to that. Some people, whether they ignore it, some people really dive into it, some people don't even understand what's going on in the moment. Um, and I said that the problem is we have too many good people we have too many people who are just good people. They're, they're not doing overtly bad things. They love people, they, like to help others. They, they may even pray for people, right? They're not some diabolical mastermind trying to undermine God in every aspect of their life. They're just, they're just, we're just surrounded by good, this is, this is a phrase, this is a Southern phrase. You're just good people, you know what I'm saying? You could talk about a singular person and still call them good people. Oh, he's good people. That doesn't even make sense. That's not even grammatically correct. You go north, the north, people in the north, they don't understand what you're talking about. They go, what? Oh yeah, they're just good people. But Jessica said this, and I, I believe it so hard. I believe it so much. She said, good people don't make good Christians. And I said, well, you are absolutely right. Because... Yes, you can love your family. And yes, you can come to church. You can even give an offering. You can participate in the Bible study. You can even uh, do all the things that good church people do, right? You can check off all your boxes. But that doesn't mean that you're becoming more like Christ. It just means that you're doing and not becoming. There's a big difference between doing and becoming, Hear me on this. The current work of salvation in your life is about becoming 
more like Christ. And that becoming is a process. It's a progressive process. Look at Philippians chapter 2. It should be on the screens, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You are to work out your salvation, right? That Greek word that, said that we translate into work out just means to perform, to accomplish, and to do that from which something results. And so in other words, we should be working it out every day. That salvation in our life should be working itself out, that it should be fleshing itself with it's a performance, it's an accomplishment, it's something that we are trying to figure out. And who's doing that work? Look what verse 13 said there in Philippians chapter two. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Hello. This is so good. God is working in us, which means that we are already justified, right? That means God is in us. If you're not in Christ, then you're not justified, right? So we are already saved, and this is his work in the life of a believer, that we're continuing to figure out what his will is and we're continuing to figure out how he wants us to act and we're trying to, he's working that out in us and we are fleshing it out in our life. This is a, this is a progressive process. Remember what that definition said? Between God and man. It's that, that we've got to work hand in hand with what he is working out in our life. And some of you guys know how that process of sanctification is a little bit of a battle in our spirit, right? Sometimes God's trying to work something out in us that we don't want worked out. We're just totally fine with not figuring that out, right? Because if we figure it out, then we're accountable to it. If we're accountable to it, he's going to hold us to it, right? And if we don't know, we can just claim ignorance. I, I didn't know, God. Now, I remember I told you guys this story before about Bill, the bass player at our church. Bill was incredible. This is our home church in Bryant, and Bill uh, was uh, a newly saved Christian. Bill was uh, this long stringy hair, used to play in bars and um, bands and he played the bass and he played the bass. I, you know, if you watch Jeffrey, Jeffrey plays the bass on his lap and he plays it. He's really good. P.S. He's played down in the student room back years ago when I was down there uh, and it, it was incredible. And so Jeff plays up here. Well, well, Bill's one of those guys that played the bass way down here. You know what I'm talking about? He played it. He hung it down real low and he was playing. And this is the best story about Bill ever is he would He'd flick and his hand would come up back here and he'd play and his hand would come back here and we're like, what is he doing? Well, Bill was playing with the pick and he would snap that pick as he's playing and catch it behind his head. That's how good Bill was, okay? But Bill was a little rough around the edges. He was one of my favorite people because he would just say whatever he wanted to say, right? And so we're in church, we're practicing. I was playing in the worship band. I was playing the drums back then at our home church. And uh, we were running through whatever songs we were going to run through. And Bill's trying to tell this story to another guy over the top of the band playing. And all of a sudden the band stops and Bill's mid-sentence. And he just went ahead and said whatever word he was about to say, which was not a quote-unquote church word, right? You know what I'm saying? But he's relaying this story and everybody who's already kind of showing up to church early hears Bill yell this not appropriate word for church. And you know what we all went? We went, ah, it's Bill. Because he's in the process 
of sanctification. He's figuring it out. And as soon as he said it, he went, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that word. And everybody said, it's okay, Bill. Just try not to yell it again in church. It would make worship really awkward, right? And so Bill was in the process of sanctification. And a lot of us, a lot of us resist that process. There was, there's a part in my life I'll never forget. I was riding with what was soon to be my brother-in-law. I did not know that at the time. He was just our student pastor. I was in college. We went riding four-wheelers and we got stuck. And I hopped off mine and I hopped in the middle of a big old mud puddle. And I didn't even know it was there. And a word came out of my mouth that wasn't a very good church word either. And it was in front of a preacher. And he said, no, you don't need to say that. And he just left it. And I felt so Guilty, And in that moment, I thought, okay, God, there's a part of me that's got to be sanctified. There's a part of me that's in process here. And I had been fighting it, and I had been struggling against it, and I had been trying to keep it. Oh, I didn't matter. I can do whatever I want to do. But God really began to work in me. Some of you feel that on a number of different levels. You may feel it in your free time. You may feel it in your commitments. You may feel it in the way that you handle your marriage or the way you handle your finances. And there's this struggle between the will God's will trying to work and act in you and your will wanting to fight back. There's a little bit of struggle sometimes in that sanctification, but God is the one who's trying to work it out. We have to flesh it out. And it comes out in all different ways of our life. Listen, let's keep working or we're never gonna be done this. Now you say, there's no way that we can be like Christ, right? That was part of that definition. There's no way that we can be like Christ. And the answer to that is very simply, you're right, right? We can't be like Christ, but we can become more like Christ. That's a very important statement to understand. Look at Romans chapter six, okay? Uh, Romans chapter five, we read a little bit last week. Uh, we talked about the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, but the w- result of one act of righteousness was a justification that brings life for all men. Remember, we read that. That's the end of chapter five. And then Paul goes on to say in that passage of scripture, he says, you know, just because we have this grace that's been so freely given that that doesn't give us the free pass to continue to sin, right? He says, by no means, right? That's an incredible phrase in that at the end of chapter five. And then in chapter six, he starts talking about how if, uh, if we're united with Christ through his baptism, we'll also be united with Christ through his resurrection and all this great stuff. And then in verse eight, he says this, it's incredible. Romans chapter six, verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. We are to live our lives the same way Christ lived his. The life he lives, he lives to God. This is incredible. This is, this is sanctification of us through the example of Christ, right? Everything that Jesus did, he did for the glory of God the Father. Everything that we do, we do for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's we're becoming more and more like this. That, that whole phrase, the life he lives, he lives to God, is a present tense phrase. He lives. That's a Greek word. I've got it on the screen. This is, we're all learning Greek today. Greek word, Z-A-O, it's pronounced Z-A-O, Okay. And, and this word means, I've got the definition, to live, breathe, and be among the living. Okay, that makes sense. To enjoy real 
life. Isn't that great? To have true life and worthy of the name. To be active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God, fresh, strong, efficient, powerful, active, and effectuous. That's a great word. Isn't that the kind of words that you want to describe your life in Christ? Fresh, strong, efficient, effectuous. Those are the things that we're supposed to be doing because that's what he says. He lives. The life he lives, that's supposed to be our life too. We can't do that without the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. Some of you, if you read that definition of that Greek word, he lives, you go, that's not my life. My life is not enjoyable. It's not strong and efficient or effectuous. It's not, it's not fresh or active or powerful. That's, that's not, I would not use that to describe my life. That means that you're resisting the process of sanctification because when we live our life for him, we live the life we live for him. It's an active process that should be defined by those words. Now, let's go back to our definition of sanctification, okay? A progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Now, we understand the progressive work, right? We've already talked about that. We even understand the like Christ part, but it's that middle part that we wanna overlook, the more and more free from sin part. That's the part we, uh, listen, if we struggle anywhere, we're gonna struggle right here. Too many of us understand the past work of sanctification uh, or the past work of salvation through justification. We believe and confess and stand firm in that, right? But there's no change in our life. We are justified. We've got our, we've got our get out of hell free card, right? We've got our, we've got our fire insurance. We've got our, we, we've been saved. We've even maybe even gone through the process of baptism, which is just a proof of our salvation, but that's as far as it ever went. And it goes back to what we said earlier. We're just good people, right? And we're good people who really are good at hiding the sin in our life. I'd be willing to even say that if we're honest, about 90% of us, even in this room this morning, are okay with the amount of sin in our life. We're okay with it. We're not bothered by it to a point that we feel like we need to change, or we're not convicted to a point that we feel like God's upset with us. We just, we're okay with it because we say things like, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I immediately saw Petey over there. I don't know why I wanted to say his name. I'm not as bad as Petey. Dino thought that was funny. I'm not as bad as this person or I'm not as bad as that person. I'm just picking on Petey. It's, it's not a big deal, right? We say that about the sin that we know that we're committing. It's not a big deal. It's, it's not hurting anybody. Nobody even has to know. Everybody does it. That's a big one. Oh, everybody does it. Like God's gonna somehow grade us on a curve. Oh, everybody did it. Or, or worse, when we talk about this surrendered lifestyle, this sanctification process in our life, we convince ourselves that no one really lives like that. Ah, oh, that's, just, that's just what preachers say, or that's just what the church preaches. That nobody really lives like that. Church, is the life you're living the life that God has called you to? Is, is the life you're living the life that he died to provide you? Is the life that you're living worthy of the calling that you've received? 
We can't, we can't just slough off this thought of, oh, nobody really does it. It's okay. My sin in my life is not that big of a deal. Look at Colossians chapter three. This is another long one, but it's so worth it. Colossians chapter three, we're gonna read 10 verses here. And I know you think 10 per- verses, but it's on the screen if you haven't got it yet. It starts with verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Did you catch that? Christ, who is your life, like that's your whole life, it's supposed to be wrapped up in him. And he gets into the meat and potatoes of all this, verse five. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all these things, such as anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Did you catch all those really important phrases in there? there there's assumed sanctification that's being communicated here, right? You used to walk in these ways, but now, aka, now there's a change you, you've taken off that old self and you've put on a new self in the image of its creator. Meaning, the more and more free from sin you become, the more and more in his image you become. Isn't that great? The more and more you free yourself and you stop doing this kind of stuff, the more and the more the process of sanctification takes place in your life, the more and more in his image you become. Church, it's time to wake up and grow up and quit playing games when it comes to the sin that's in our life. It's time that, that all this stuff that's holding us back, that we just get rid of it. And Paul lists off all these things in these 10 verses that we just read. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. Hello, can can we just keep going? He's not trying to make an exhaustive list here. He's just giving us examples, right? This is bigger than what the church has preached for years, and this is partly pastor's fault, but I'll take some responsibility in that. It's bigger than the drug, sex, and alcohol thing that we like to talk about. Those are the big three. If you're not doing those three, then you're okay, right? And that's not what we're doing. Uh, Paul's listing out more than that. It's bigger than that. Can we talk about apathy? The sin of apathy in your life where you just don't care? I know I'm doing something I'm not supposed to do. I just don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Or the sin of complacency. It's too hard to change. I'm not going to do all that. I'm fine where I am. I'm just not going to change. What are the fact that we've been numb to what's right and what's wrong, that we just don't see it as wrong anymore. We've just become so accustomed to, to just seeing wrong that it's just kind of normal now. Listen, we're living in a world where people are trying to classify pedophilia as a sexual orientation. Have you heard this? Have you read this on the news? Where, where it's, no, it's no longer a rape of a child, it's a, it's a decision. If, if you identify, if you are a 50-year-old man 
and you identify as a 14-year-old boy, then it's okay if you're attracted to a 14-year-old girl, even okay if you have sex with her. It's not, it's not rape. It's, a, it's an orientation. It's a sexual orientation. It's, it's totally fine. Are you kidding me? Are you, this, is, this is the world that we're living in where we've become so numb to right and wrong that people see that and they go, oh, it's totally fine. That's totally okay. And how did we get there? Well, we got there because we've, object, we've objectified women for so long that we've normalized immorality to the point that we've just saying all men are just men. They're just acting like men. At the same time, we've pushed our children to feel like they have to act a certain way or look a certain way or do a certain thing to be accepted and to be loved. And all the, all the time, we're raising this generation of kids that are so emotionally and relationally scarred because they don't understand right and wrong. They don't understand how things are supposed to be because we've lowered the bar so much that what is wrong has become normal. And what is normal has become okay. And church, we can't do that. We can't allow that. And we can't allow it in our own lives. There's a lot of stuff that we see and we go, oh, we probably shouldn't do that, but everybody else is. And it's evidenced in the way that we allow things. We allow things in our home. We allow things for our kids. We allow things in our marriages. We allow things in our finances. We allow things to happen. And we go, oh, it's not that big of a deal when in all reality, I believe all heaven screams out, it's wrong. But we've just numbed ourselves to it. And it doesn't matter anymore because we're just numb to what's, the Bible says very clearly here, that's the old life stuff. We're supposed to set all that aside. We're supposed to put on this new life in the image of its creator. So this leads us to this incredible question of how. How do we do this? How do we move from old life things to new life things? How do we, how do we become more and more free from sin and at the same time more and more like him? Well, the answer is very simply the Holy Spirit, right? That's the biggest, easiest church answer that we can give, but it's so true, right? Because once we are justified, we've talked about this last week, once we are justified, we are his. And the Bible says very clearly that once we believe in who he is, that he gives us the comforter, he gives us the counselor, he gives us the one who is gonna help us, that is the Holy Spirit. It's a part of the Trinity, a church that we don't talk about a whole lot in the Baptist church because nobody wants to catch the Spirit and start dancing down the aisles, right? But it's a very big part of who the Trinity is. And when we talk about it, we begin to understand that the Spirit of God lives in the life of a believer, then that changes everything. It gives us the power to live from this old life to this new life stuff. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. This is, this is fantastic. Chapter eight, verse nine. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And he clarifies that. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So in other words, he's saying, if you belong to him, if you have been saved, if you have made that moment of justification real in your life, then you have the Spirit in you. And he says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Underline that word, circle that word, highlight that word in your Bible because it's incredible. We have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For you've, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But by the Spirit, you have put death to the misdeeds of the body. You will live. 
Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We have an obligation by the Spirit that lives in us. We, we are to put to death these misdeeds of our body. We are, we are to be led by the Spirit. And you say, how do we do that? By knowing Him, by listening to Him, by learning from Him. Is it really that simple? Yes, it is. Could it, could it be narrowed down and watered down and just fo- focused down to just the idea of reading your Bible and praying and being involved in church? Yes, it really can be that simple, the process of understanding the process of sanctification in your life. That, that when we pray and that when we really seek God's will, that we're just not praying prayers that are just words on a, you know, out of a canvas of our heart. It's just this, oh, I'm going to pray this because I'm supposed to, or I'm going to pray this because we need to. It's, it's that you really stop and that you communicate with the Father. And then when you read his words, that's how he talks back 99% of the time is that's how he communicates back to us. We read the scripture and we come around for the believers who are trying to do this old life, new life thing too and we're encouraged by each other and we're spurred on. It's what the Bible uses, the verbs the Bible uses. is that we spur each other on to love and good deeds and it's this process of sanctification that's so easy. And it's really just the spirit of God being fleshed out and lived out in our life because we have this obligation to the spirit. It's very very simple. I've got five minutes and I'm on my last thought. Now here's my last thought. It's got three points to it and you're going, what in the world? But I promise you this makes so much sense. Just hang with me, okay? The process of sanctification, the present element of salvation is something that we were literally created to do. We were created to do this. Now, here's what the enemy wants you to believe, right? The lie the enemy tries to sell us is, number one, that you can't be good enough to be like God, or number two, that he can't make you like him. That, that somehow that you, this is, a, it is a, a process that's never gonna happen in your life. Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter one. Everybody knows where that is, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, we understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can go through all the way all that. We know what's going on here, right? Uh, God, at this moment where we get on the, where we're about to start reading, God's already made the sun and the moon and the stars. He's already separated the dry land from the sea. He's already made the vegetation and all the animals and all that good stuff. And then you get to Genesis 1, 26, which is an incredible verse in Scripture. And it says this, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now this moment, and we don't have time to get in how big this is. This is what everybody calls the Imago Dei, right? This is the let us make man in our image, okay? This plural, let us in our, speaks to the Trinity right? Speaks to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Speaks to all three being present through the work of creation. We don't have time to get into all that, but it's incredible. And he says, let us make him in our image and in our likeness. Now, if we fast forward the story here, we obviously know that God uh, makes Adam. Adam is on the earth and he has no suitable helper for him, right? Uh, And then uh, Adam takes a nap and wakes up after post-surgery, missing a rib, and he sees Eve, and he has his bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh moment, which is an awesome uh, passage of Scripture in, uh, in Genesis because it's this moment we read that and we read Adam's response to seeing Eve and we say, bone of my bone, 
flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. But that's not how Adam said it. Okay, he had, been, he had already named all the animals. He had seen everything that God had created and nothing was like him. And he woke up and saw Eve, who, uh, who was just standing there. Uh, and and he, he had this incredible reaction of bone of my bone, right? He was, he was super excited to see Eve, okay? And so he has this moment with Eve. And then it says sometime later, we don't know how long it was. We don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden uh, in a perfect condition. We just know at some point, the enemy shows up. At some point, the serpent begins to speak. And we read this happen in Genesis chapter three, verse one, okay? And in chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did you catch what he just did? The very first thing the enemy wants us to do is to doubt what God said. He wants to put that little seed of doubt in your mind. And Eve answers correctly, okay? And she says, verse two, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, and she quotes him, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. So here's my last thought point number one. You have to know what God says. You have to know what God says. When it comes to the process of sanctification in your life, you have to know, because the enemy is gonna tell you that you can't ever live like God wants you to. He's gonna tell you that you can't ever really meet that obligation that Paul talked about earlier, right? That you shouldn't even try and you've got to know what God says. You've got to be able to look at the enemy and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We are more than conquerors, right? We can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that he hears us, right? Those are all things that God says through his word. You've got to know what God says. Then look what the enemy says. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Point number two, last thought, point number two. If what you hear doesn't line up with what God said, then you're listening to the wrong voice. If what you hear doesn't line up with what God said, then you're listening to the wrong voice. God never contradicts himself. Never contradicts himself. When the enemy tells you that you're not good enough, that you're unlovable, that God has given up on you, and that you might as well give up to your listening to the wrong voice. God's never said that. And so you have to know what he says. You have to listen to the right voice. And then listen to this really just dumb argument that the enemy presents. Verse five, serpent still talking. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, talking about the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see how ridiculous this argument is? The enemy's saying, you'll be like God if you do that. Guess what? What do we read very first? Genesis 1, that we were already created in his image and in his likeness. We were already like God. 
And the enemy says, well, if you do this, then you're gonna be like God. He's trying to point, we're all pointing to something and make you really confused and really try to twist up what scripture says. Last point number three is becoming like God is literally what we were created to be. Becoming like God was literally what we were created to be. No one said the process of sanctification was gonna be easy. No one said that the enemy wasn't gonna tell you that's not worth it, or it was a waste of time. No one said that the temptation wasn't gonna be real and gonna be hard. Nobody says any of that, but we were created in the image and the likeness of him. And the whole goal of believer's life is just to deepen that likeness. The whole goal of our, our process of sanctification of our life is to make that more and more like God. We were created in his likeness. Now we have to live in his likeness. So what's it gonna be, church? Are we just gonna continue to sit on our justification? Are we just gonna continue to sit on our assurance and know that we've got everything worked out? Or are we going to really begin to apply the obligation to put on this new self, to, to put on this new life, to be more and more like him and less and less like our old self. It's not gonna be easy. There's gonna be moments when that temptation is just, I mean, it's hammering on you, it's hard. And you're gonna say, oh, it's not a big deal, everybody else is doing it. Or you're gonna hear that little voice in your head say, did God really say, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. You got to be listening to the right voices. You got to know what he says. And you got to remind yourself, this is who I've been created to be. Be more like him. This action is the work of sanctification. This action is the present work of salvation in your life. You have been justified and now we are being sanctified. We are being made more and more like Him. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I willing to be done? Am I willing to do that in my life? Am I willing to really live this out? The obligation is here. And it starts today. Some of you say, man, listen, I've, I've been living life like I wanted to for such a long time. It's going to take me a while. You may, you may be like Bill, right? You may be flicking your pick and catching it. And you may be able to say things. It's a, it's a process. But it's a progressive process. Some of you be willing to bet, and I'm, I'm not pointing, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here. I'd be willing to bet a lot of you are not any more mature in your faith than you were four years ago. Some of you may not be any more mature in your faith than you were than the, the day that you got saved. Because it's just something that you did. It's just, it's just a box that you checked. I got it and I'm good and I'm not, I'm gonna still live like I want to live, but that's not what salvation is. Salvation is a moment of justification, the process of sanctification, and the payoff of glorification. We're gonna talk about that in two weeks. I'm going to ask you to stand, and TJ's going to come, and we're just going to have a moment of invitation. And listen, church, if you need to kind of recenter, if you need to kind of reapply some of this thought of becoming more and more, if you just need to say, listen, I need to confess, and I need to repent, I need to get myself back together, I need to God to continue to work out this in me. I've got some old life stuff I'm struggling with, and I'm ready to put on some new life stuff. Man, this is the opportunity for you to do that. If you want to talk to me, I'd love to talk to you. 
If you want to join the church or if you want to talk about baptism or if you want to just talk about, say, listen, I got some stuff in my life I need you to pray for me for. I would love to do that. This is the moment to make everything that we've been talking about for the last two weeks to be a part of your current process. This is what we're living right now. Don't miss this moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for the process of sanctification in our life. And that's a big church word, but God, it just means that we want to be more and more like you. And God, we're just going to be real honest with you this morning. We mess this up all the time. We fail at this every week. God, there's this old life part of us that still just hangs on and sometimes it's really, really hard to get rid of. God, we're just asking for us to live by the spirit that is living in us and the life that we live, we live to you. God, help us make good decisions. Help us resist temptation. Help us to put aside that old life stuff and put on the new life. And God, that's a scary step. But it's worth it. It's, it's what you've called us to do. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't understand that or maybe needs a little bit more clarification or just says, listen, I want to do that, but I need to make a commitment first. I got to get, I got to be justified. I need the spirit of God in me first before he can work through me. God, this is the moment. What better day to be saved and to begin to work out your salvation than today? Father, for the majority of us, even those watching online, I believe that it's just, it's just a commitment to continue the work Continue the process to become more and more like you, more and more free from sin. Father, help us. God, we give you the next few moments. It's yours. Work through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.